We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 337. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. It's either the fact that it's 6 o'clock in the morning or the fact that it was a hell of a weekend for, for me, for you, for the Yankees, for Bronx Pinstripes. That was a, that was a fun one, Scott. It was a fun one. I, I didn't even go on Saturday like you did, but I had a bunch of family stuff happening, and uh, I'm still struggling from Friday night, to tell you the damn truth. <laughs> like, yesterday was a solid day two hangover. My voice was, was jacked up still. Um, when LeMahieu hit a home run, I think I lost my mind. Someone tweeted me that they just saw me pop a blood vessel. You know, there was, there was, a, bunch of, there was a bunch of very good things that happened over the weekend. Unfortunately, Sunday, you know, clouded it a little bit, but I'm not letting that bring me down. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at lots of really good things that did happen this weekend. You go into a series against the Red Sox. We thought it was going to be a four-gamer. ended up being a three-gamer, and you say take two out of three. Um, I know people are saying, oh, if you had swept the Red Sox, that buries them in the American League East. But the reality is that doesn't bury. If, it, it, if they swept them, it didn't, wouldn't have buried them in the American League East. So two out of three, you take care of business. You have won the majority of the games against them. You've been at home for the major- all of the games so far. I don't know. Good stuff, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you look down and we, we all had uh, magic balls and we said, um, in, in over the winter that the Yankees would start off 
what four and one against the Red Sox. I think every single one of us would take that all day long. Um, I feel like we have to we have to say all these things right now because of just because they lost last night. Like that's the only reason we have to say any of this stuff because the overwhelming. The overwhelming play for the majority of the weekend, besides a seventh inning right field <laughs> debacle, you know, it was it was positive. It was good. It was it was good. Yeah, of course. The last when you lose the last game of a series when you're going for a sweep, it's in, it's in the it, it's in the way it's in the manner the fashion that they lost it, and especially because they mounted a little bit of a rally late in that game with that. He was just downpouring yeah. in the umpires. I feel like is that a new trend in baseball, at least for the Yankees? Let's just play through a monsoon. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it seemed like they had the right idea considering it was pretty short. But, um, yeah, I mean, that rally was definitely helped by the fact that, uh, that they couldn't grip the ball. Right. It was, uh, it, was, it was pretty tough to grip that ball. It was very obvious. But the reason I say it's not, it would not have clinched anything in the American League East. I mean, that's obvious. We're sitting here at the beginning of June. But because of that rainout on Thursday night, and it's, it, I thought maybe we'd get a doubleheader at some point this weekend, or maybe even a Monday game. Because I, I last time I checked, the Red Sox are also off, the Yankees are off, so mutual off day. You could play it today, as we're talking on Monday. But no, they rescheduled to August third, doubleheader in the Bronx. That means. From July 25th to August 4th, in 11 days, they're going to play eight times. So you're playing, you're playing a seven-game playoff series plus, plus a little extra in a matter of a week and a half. So that is when the American League East could very well be decided. Now you might be saying, oh, hey, four, eight games, you split four and four. That's probably what's going to happen. And to that, I say, beautiful. Split those games because the Red Sox are not going to come back from an eight-and-a-half deficit by splitting games with the Yankees. So, but that, that is really going to be Armageddon, I think, in the middle of summer. You know, it's funny because the, the fact that the Yankees have played, how many times have we played the Reds, the, uh, the Orioles already? 19 12. times. <laughs> we played them 11, 12 11 times. 11 or 12, yeah. Um, the Red Sox haven't played them as much, you know, and I think that when we're looking at later in the season as well, it's again going to come down to a lot of this inner, uh, inner division play and, and how the teams are taking care of their opponents and when the season gets tougher for the Yankees, are the Red Sox going to be, you know, mowing down the Orioles and the Blue Jays? And we're going to start seeing, uh, you know, those games come back to us. So, you know, by no means am I saying that this this is a that the the Red Sox are out of it because they're not. They're they're just not. They they started off terrible. Um, they still have weapons. They still have a a potent offense. They still have you know very good top line front, uh, starting pitching. So, you know. They're going to go on a run at some point, and um, and it's probably going to be feeding on some of these American League East teams. And the Yankees, <clears throat> as much as they've played the Orioles, haven't played the Blue Jays yet. They're right. about to play them for the first time. So if they can take care of the Blue Jays, there's another button, handful of games, 19 games, against a division opponent that's going to help decide the, the division. Um, yeah, and the Red Sox, I know they haven't played Baltimore as much, but they have not taken care of Baltimore so far. Right. No, I know, but it, it, it could be a similar storyline to what we saw last year in the sense that, you know, we I think everybody more or less does expect for the Yankees and the Red Sox to, to split relatively. It'll be close, you know, yeah. so that's when you're looking at, you know, unless it's, um, you know, last game of the series or last series of the of the year type thing and it boils down to those two teams and they're playing each other, it's probably going to boil down to other other series that are going to be the deciding factor. And and then when you look at who's in the American League, you're, you're, you're looking at the Orioles, you're looking at the Blue Jays, and uh, the fact that the Yankees have already played the Orioles, you know, uh, a baker's dozen times that you, 
the Red Sox still have a lot of those games. Uh, let's talk about so Friday night event. Thank you to everybody who came out. This was this was a blast. We we called for people to show up and and get rowdy, and that's exactly what happened. Friday night, first game, first thought it was gonna be second, first game of a, a weekend series against the Red Sox in summer. That was a lot, a lot of fun. It was a ton of fun, man. It was probably a little too much fun. It was a it was a it was a very good time. Um, just met a whole bunch of people, saw a lot of familiar faces, which is awesome. That's you know some of my favorite things I think is going and. and when we're transferring the tickets, because you and I do, uh, we do the seating, we transfer the tickets, so we kind of see the names from from all these events too, and I, you know I recognize a lot of them. Uh, so it's always good to see those those guys again uh, at at the game, and then meeting new people. Um, yeah, man, it's just so much fun. I love it. this. Is like this is probably my favorite part of being a Yankee fan is going out and and meeting uh, more Yankee fans in this group, and the fact that like everybody's hanging out with each other, and uh, you know we went out to the bars afterwards with some of the people, and beforehand, obviously at the dugout. It's just a, it's just an overall encompassing good time, and and when you have a good game and there's some offense cuz it definitely helps there's no doubt about it when the yankees are playing yeah, we've the red been Sox, to some we've been to some of those games that yeah. don't go our way and yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a little different it's definitely different but when you have a game where there's some offense happening and there's some good vibes going on and good things happening um, on the field as well and the yankees are playing the red Sox, like it's a it's a hell of an atmosphere it really is and uh, you know you're high fiving every single person in, around you like people up in rows ahead of you rows behind you um, people flying up and down the aisles like it's just fun yeah jj throwing things at me <laughs> uh yeah we had uh and you know what i noticed on saturday i saw a couple people from the event that went out on saturday too so yeah. a lot of people had the same idea let's just make a weekend of it yeah damn right it's a good idea uh it was uh it's the next one's coming up very quickly june 22nd against houston they'll be here before you know it so so I'm pretty get ready, Scott. I gotta look at the calendar again because I'm pretty sure I have to order T-shirts. Like, uh, I think we're gonna have a T-shirt cut off at the end of this week. I think that's yeah. uh, that's when what's happening. So, yeah, June 22nd is the Houston series or the Houston game. That's a seven o'clock game, a night game. Um, and yeah, go get those tickets. I, I know we have over 100 sold. We sold a bunch this weekend as well. Uh, I think when people saw <laughs> the uh, the good time that we were having on Saturday, they went and grabbed some tickets. It's a good deal. Um, what is because it? Six, Sixty-seven bucks, I think it is. Six, Sixty-four bucks, sixty-five bucks, something like that. The whether I know the Red Sox one was a little bit more expensive because it's a premium. It's a premium game rivalry. Yeah, game they charge us more. Charges us more, but it's it's a, it's going to be a good deal no matter what. Even if it's a Red Sox game, or if it's an Astros game, or if it's I know they're playing the Rockies um, in July, July twentieth. Really, though, you're paying for to go to a game with like 200 of your closest friends because <laughs> yeah. that's what it's like. Yeah. You're going you're going in a mob of Yankees fans. I know the whole stadium's filled with Yankee fans, but we really feel it started it, it, over as these events are building, as they're going this is now into the third year that we're doing them. It really feels like you have that camaraderie with these people. No I've doubt. now seen games with some of these people four times, five times. Yeah. So you know that 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 builds and and you kind of like you said high-fiving every time there's a home run or a big strikeout big moment in the game people are loud people are booing the red sox people are cheering the yankees so yeah a ton of fun that's that's really what you're paying for you're paying for the uh the the atmosphere the camaraderie of of the event yeah i mean and it's cheaper than getting a ticket retail as well so i mean it doesn't doesn't usually doesn't doesn't uh 
doesn't hurt the fact. Uh, but then uh, a couple more things. We got on uh, June 29th, the watch party. Watch party, in, Tavern in 29. Yep. Yeah, I, so if you guys, I know a couple people actually tweeted me over the weekend yeah. um, that they want to come. So, you know, it's going to be, we're not selling tickets for this or anything, but we do want to get a, sort of an accurate head count so we can give the bar a heads up. They're going to give us a space to watch the game. Um, so join the Facebook group. Just mark that you're going. Um, or tweet me. Uh, I know some people said one person said they don't have Facebook. So up here, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, I've, I've gotten a couple of questions asking about um, if there's still tickets available. There's no tickets. You just this is a this is a show up thing. It's just a watch party at a bar. But um, if you can uh, RSVP, that'd be cool just so we can give them a headcount. Um, and then July 6th, we're doing the invasion at Tampa. I met a bunch of people from Tampa this weekend, which was fun. Uh, they were up here for the game. And uh, so now I, we, I think we got more tickets, uh, more people going, and they're going to be spreading the word. Look, we have over 200. We have No, I'm sorry. We have 200 tickets reserved for Tampa. Um, we've had these events up in New York, so I haven't really been pushing this Tampa thing as, as hard yet. It, it, we got to start pushing it because I need to sell some of these tickets. Um, so if you're in Tampa and you're or in the surrounding area or in Florida, just want to get in a freaking car and go and have a good time, you know, get these tickets because it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to be invading the trap. 200 tickets again. Uh, I think we're that probably... That means there's going to be 212 sold. people in that stadium. Right. 200 in your section and yeah. 12 other people scattered around the We're sitting right by the, the Yankees bullpen, which is down the line. So they're good seats. And uh, hopefully we can get some chatter with those guys. And then... And you know what? Yeah. I mean, Tampa, we were talking about the Red Sox, but Tampa's two and a half out. So that's... Tampa's the, the right now the immediate threat. Yeah, they're yeah. they're they're a, a, a good team, so there's no doubt about it. Um, and then July 20th is the Colorado game that Andrew was talking about. Nice. So the Yankees had their best May. They finished May 20 and seven. That's their best May since 1998, if you can believe it or not. I mean, we think think back to last year in the May that they had when they went on that run, and uh, it seemed like they couldn't lose a game at the end of April and in May, and turns out this May was better than last year with all these replacements, without Judge, without Stan, without Andujar, without Severino. 20-7 and seven plus 42 run def- differential. It's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? How How is this team putting up the same numbers that these guys, uh, you know, that this was um, the, the lineup of superstars that, that, that were playing well at that time? Uh, how, how does this even happen? Well, the fact that Cashman and his team went out and found all this depth and identified talent that was relatively, you know, unseen, I guess, or, or you know, not, uh, not, not hitting its stride as Gio Urshela. I don't know how else to say, explain Gio Urshela other than the fact that he's now hitting his stride. He's understanding how to, how to hit better than he's ever done it before because nothing he's put on paper to this year is matched what he's done in his career. So, um, look, they're playing out of their minds. And you know what you're also starting to, to get. Yeah. I heard Buster only on the uh, on uh, ESPN broadcast last night talking about how Brian Cashman always wanted to trade for Gio Urshel. I heard that last night. Too. So now you're starting to get the narrative. Like there's some mole in the Yankees system that's like, oh no, Brian Cashman's been on Gio Urshel for ten years. He's been known. He's known about him. When in reality, no, he didn't know about him. He just needed a backup infielder, and it turned out Gio Urshel turned into the next friggin' all star. I mean, I like the fact. I liked. I like that story i think it's a good story i think he probably was on him see this is the thing i'm giving cashman more credit than ever Uh, i think that i think the credit runs deep i think that 
but you dismissing a report like that, Buster only has deep roots in the New York Yankees. But I've also seen reports that say, of course, we didn't expect you or Shella to do this. I, I kind of trust Buster only. I mean, he knows a lot of people in the organization. He, he used to write about the Yankees back in the he's day. He's a Vermont boy. Look, he's a, he's a guy who can get information, can get some intel. He's probably the only person I trust on the ESPN broadcast, to tell you the truth. The, the fact that he uh, is saying this, and look, I, I can't dismiss anything from Brian Cashman. If someone thinks that Brian Cashman probably was on Gio Urshela three years ago, I'm probably like, okay, maybe, probably, because it's Brian Cashman. Whatever it is, it's worked out, and that's good. Nine series wins in a row. And sort of comparing it to last year, though, the cliche goes, where are you on June 1st? Don't overreact to April baseball games. May is when the team, the weather heats up, the team starts to figure it out. Where are you as a team on June 1st? Where they are is pretty much the same place they were last year. Last year, they were 37 and 18 on June 2nd. That's the series closest to June 1st. And then this year on June 2nd, after June 2nd, 38 and 20. So two more losses, one more win. It's essentially the same exact spot they were last year, except the only difference is last year they were fully healthy in June and we thought just going to keep going on on the rise. And it turned out they maybe plateaued in in June and then started to uh, fall a little bit. This year, I think most fans think, and I think you and I think, this team is going to get better because they're going to start adding back their regulars into the lineup. Yeah, I mean... When you're looking at who's playing out there and then who's coming back, you you got to, you know, at some point assume that they are going to improve or at least keep up this pace because the guys that are playing now and that's to say that they're going to improve is it would would almost be a knock to the guys and what they're doing now. Like there's really they're doing everything that these these guys would normally do. I mean that's that's what's crazy about it. It's but there's a fear the that the current level. guys the current guys are Shella. Um, I hate just using Urshela, but there, there's, there's, a, there's this, a lot of um, contribution, and we're starting to see it with Herman, where he's starting to fall a little bit. Yeah. So this is where getting guys back healthy, if you can get Severino back into that, that rotation, because everyone's saying the comparisons between Herman in the first two months of the season this year to Severino in the first two months of the season last year, same guy, same pitcher. And right. that is true. There's, the numbers are very similar. But now we're starting to see Herman two bad starts in a row, and then a third start thrown in there that really wasn't that great. He he's he I have some numbers on him, but three and two thirds innings over the weekend, basically just an opener. We're starting to see him hit a wall. If they can get Severino back, Paxton just came back, Sabathia just came back. That will ensure the rotation doesn't take a hit if Herman takes a hit. Or if you can get Stanton back and you can get Judge back, that can ensure that the offense is not going to take a hit if. Urshela does stop hitting, which, let's be all honest, could happen. <laughs> well, I, I think that the that those thoughts and those and those um, you know people looking at that the glass half empty in the sense that he's going to stop hitting is is slowing down and being more quiet because no one thought he would still be hitting on June. He's 2nd. continuing to do it now, and it's not just him. I mean, there's there's other guys in this lineup who you know have been hitting at a clip. I mean, look at the production from Clint Frazier uh, at the plate. I mean, the guy's got an unbelievable production. <laughs> the plate now, now yeah. I have to just make this distinction now, but could we could we save a few runs if we had Aaron Judge in the right field? You're goddamn right we could. You're absolutely right we could. It would have been a closer game last night. That's for sure. yeah. So you're you're looking at, at at different different areas where this team has excelled, and and probably everything 
has gone as well as it could go with these Estrada's, guys. Estrada's given him so yes. much off the bench. Cameron Mabin has given him a lot off the bench. Yeah. Luke Voigt has, for the most part, been the productive player we saw at the end of last year. He's taken that production into this year. I know he's had a couple slumps, but for the most part, he's been really good. Uh, I mean, LeMahieu, I, I think we all we'll liked. Continue. Yeah. We all knew uh, LeMahieu was a good player. I don't think any of us expected LeMahieu to be their best player, which I think objectively... He has been their best player all around, start to finish so far. Yeah, when you're looking at consistency and like you know, very start to to, to now, and the fact that he plays, you know, practically a Gold Glove uh, uh, infield anywhere he plays. I mean, the guy is so good on the infield. I mean, he he's playing right field as well right now. <laughs> he's, got, he's got to play the first hundred feet of right. Field. I mean, that's not even a freaking joke. He's been doing that. Even the last or the um, I forget what game that was when Frazier was in right when he went out and made another. I think uh, it was a Kansas City game. It was a Kansas City game, yeah. And then and Frazier had to make the last minute like weird adjustment catch to it. But he was, it's just it's just wild the, the, what's happening there. But um, but yeah, Lemay he was definitely I think been that guy. But yeah, we we kind of we expected that. at least I expected that. I, I expected big big time production from DJ yeah. Lemay He's at six home runs now. He got his six just for you on Friday night. He got. I mean, first of all, that was amazing. It was. I literally lost my shit on, on when we hit that home run. He's become one of my favorite players just because I love everything he's doing and the fact that he's one of my predictions just makes it better. So I have something invested in this now, and I want You're spiteful, you spiteful, just like me. I just want to throw it in your face. That's the only of thing. Course, I want. That's fair enough. That's yeah. The, and so the I whole think, point of being a fan. I throw think, throw sh- all the. <laughs> All the couple things you're right about, because let's ignore the thousand things we're wrong about and just focus on the things we're right about uh, and throw them in each other's face. I've rallied a squad on Twitter, too. Let's 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 uh, yeah, I'm going to acknowledge good. them. I got a DJ LeMahieu 20 home run squad out there that that is looking for these home runs that wants to throw it in your face, too. So there's you know, there's people with pitchforks, people with pitchforks disappointed in you because I can't believe you haven't started a I hate DJ LeMahieu narrative yet. You did it with me and Ronald Torres, even though I never hated Ronald Torres. No, but you actually hated Ronald Torres. That's the I'm difference. surprised you haven't started the Andrew hates DJ LeMahieu narrative. No, because I don't think you actually hate DJ, DJ LeMahieu, but I do, I do I believe... I love DJ LeMahieu. I know. I think you actually... Um, I, I don't... I think you have a uh, some kind of like a discrimination against short people, and Ronald Torres was one... You didn't like the mole on his face. You didn't like the way he looked. You didn't like the way he tried to s- steal uh, Aaron Judge's spotlight. No. You you didn't like him, so he, uh, I mean that that was just a plain fact. He stole Carlos Beltran's mole. Well, there you go. Now you're <laughs> now you're now you're mocking the moles of these men. Okay, multiple men. Judge called Lemayhu the sale killer after the game. Mm-hmm. So obviously he had the big night off sale, RBI double, solo home run. He was he was most of the offense. He made a really nice play in the field on Nunez, um, who then later. Made a stupid base running play, just classic Nunez. Helmet falling off all weekend. Yeah. Can he get a chin strap? It's like, what's going on with him? Yo, I'm I, here's what I'm scared about though. Is is Glaber becoming the new Nunez on the base path? Because I think he is. Well, Glaber, yeah, we talk, we've talked about this. Glaber is a terrible base runner, right? But he, he's definitely reminded me of Nunez in the sense where he just make boneheaded stuff. Like, what are you doing? I mean. It's 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 there. <laughs> it's 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 uh, it's starting to build. Nunez had, I felt like did it, and the fact that his helmet would fly off would make it look just worse. So yeah. I'm glad that Glaber has his helmet staying on. Well, I think that's the um, the face protector on Glaber's helmet. I think helps to keep it on. Yeah. Does Nunez not have that? It's become a trend now. In the, not in the in the league. Yeah. He wants to. He needs more aerodynamics to get the helmet off. Um, 
the Yankees didn't really hit sale very hard. He actually struck out 10 guys over six innings. But now he's 1-7 on the season, which is pretty crazy. Win, win and loss records, I know, are not as uh, popular to talk about. But seven losses with only one win. It will be his worst win-loss record of the year unless things drastically change. He went 11-14 in 2013. He's just not a pitcher you think is going to go 1-7 or even 500 for that matter. So it's just more of the fact that something doesn't seem quite right with the Red Sox. Like, your number one pitcher is out there 1-7. You're mostly healthy for the, for the whole season. I know... They've had some guys banged up, but the large part of their team, I mean, can't compare their injuries to the Yankees by any means. But they're a game over 500. And I don't know. Something just doesn't seem right outsider looking into the Red Sox. Yeah, no, I mean, they are healthy. I, I think they, they're healthy. They have, uh, you know, some some fresh new fresh new blood at first base now, too. And they got a uh, little, little, little momentum with some, uh, some young yes. guys. And... You can't explain it. I, I don't. The fact. I. I, I mean, look. I, last year they played unbelievable. I, I still look at what happened last year and think that they played the perfect season and things went exactly according to to plan the way that it needed to go for them to be the the standing at the end. And I just don't think those things are happening this year to to the same effect. Um, so there's a there's a there is a, an element of of things have to go right in baseball, and I think everything legitimately went right for them last year, and you're not seeing the same, uh, the same, you know, good good vibes around that team and good feeling. But again, it's June, that shit can change very quickly. Like you you could stop on a dime, and all of a sudden they're playing well, and the entire team is playing well, and all of a sudden they they you know they wing off ten straight because I do expect that to happen at some point. My dad texted me and he said the big the difference between the Red Sox this year and last year is last year in the ninth inning on Saturday, JD Martinez hits a double up the gap off Chapman and it's a tie game. And this year he grounds into a double play. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the big overwhelming things for them as well is is they always have that feeling in the back of their head that if their starters don't go deep into a game, they're in big trouble. And now they have to press to to score more runs because they know how dog shit the back of their their, their bullpen is just not good. And when you look up and down it, they have some guys who are probably you know what? I mean, the names aren't good. Their bullpen's been okay though. Their bullpen has been more productive than their starting pitching. But they've you they expect those starting pitchers when healthy to they they still believe in Chris Sale. They're gonna like, have to I, lean on their rotation. Yes, be, Sale, Porcello, Price. They've blown a lot of games. Valdi, if he's out there, they've blown. I think Valdi's probably gonna slot into the bullpen. But they're they have they have a lot of games that are lost because of the bullpen as well. So. You know, I don't expect that bullpen to get any better unless they're going out and making a move. Um, but they've pretty much drawn a line in the sand with what they're going to spend. So I'd be surprised if they went out and, and got um, another piece unless it was something that they gave up to, to um, you know, they're giving up something to, to get something in return. But they just, their their system is, is relatively shallow at this point as well. So it's tough for them to make a move unless they spend money. And they already said, I'm not spending money. Kimbrell's still sitting out there. They could have, you know, one of the better closers in baseball if they wanted to, but they choose not to. Yeah, they don't even seem linked to him. No, all I mean, the teams that are talked about, Kimbrell, I've heard the twins. Not that that means linked. jack shit, but but no. yeah, <clears throat> right. They could swoop in at the last minute. Hap went five innings Friday. He gave up just a home run to Devers. So now his updated stats when he's not facing the Baltimore Orioles: forty-six innings, thirty-eight hits, nineteen earned runs, with a three-point-seven-two ERA. Eight home runs allowed. I I don't know. 
I, I he's pitching. Oh, he's pitching good enough against non-Baltimore Orioles. Five innings, one run. I'll take it, especially with a two days off prior and a rested bullpen. I'm not gonna lie. When we were at that game, <laughs> it's very hard to follow exactly what's happening, just because there's so much going on in the stands as well. Um, and when I saw that it was he only pitched five innings, I was very surprised because I thought he went way deeper than that. <laughs> but you know, I think I was probably much deeper than five innings on the beer count that I was at at that point at that point. So you went deeper on beer than half went in the game. Yeah. So I think, I think um, that, that contributed, but over his last two starts, you know, ever since we saw uh, yet another blow up, we've seen pretty good hap. I think, I I think he's, he's been good. I think um, when you're going five innings, letting up that, you know, the one home run to Devers, you you want that. See the pitch he hit it on. It was a pitch at the letters, like legitimately six inches above the zone. Yeah, Devers hit another pitch last night that Sessa threw that was a looked like a slider or some kind of a, a, a cutter down and away. That was a really, really good pitch that I, I couldn't believe he hit um, and slapped it into left field. So Devers has become, you know, or becoming, I guess, more of a guy that can go outside the strike zone and, uh, and chase the ball and put it in, in play. So that's, that's dangerous. His fastball haps fastball sinker mix was 33% fastball, 45% sinkers. It's the same trend that we saw early in that April game against Boston, too, where he threw more sinkers. So that's obviously a game game plan going in against the Red Sox, and it's it's seeming to work out. He has never thrown his sinker this much when you look at any of his other games. He's usually relying on his fastball. And the last couple games he's been relying on his fastball, just like he always has. So he's not not really changing his overall approach into a game. It's just for whatever reason, the Orioles seem to crush him. I really, we really can't figure it out. Maybe it's just one of those weird things we're going to look back on at the end of the season. And if he's pitching to a 3-7 ERA against everyone not named Baltimore, okay, okay, that's pretty much the hap we signed up for. I fully expect the next time he faces Baltimore in this season with some time in between and him figuring his shit out that he's going to dominate them. That's that's what I expect. I I. I, I truly believe it's it's a guy that just wasn't able to command his fastball early in the season and they played them a lot and it was just a matter of circumstance and that's what happened and that's why they hit him that's that's where i'm that's where i'm at that's my final that's my final uh thought i don't on know the, how, on i don't know if you can have any other takeaway other than that yeah he just couldn't look at the fastball and and you know when, when that happens it, it's a problem for major league hitters so or for pitchers um, in a big moment in this game, here you go. Then your Nunez making mistakes. Sanchez picks him off in second base with um, Benintendi up, guy in scoring position, two outs in the fifth inning. This was a close game at the time, and you get picked off second base. Huge, huge play in the game. Place went nuts. I mean, the stadium erupted when that happened as well. And I think the fact that you see Nunez over there flopping around and it makes it that much better too. Just, sure. just for whatever reason, you know, a little bit of a. Um, a little bit of shot, but yeah, yeah no, it's it was, like an, it's like an ex girlfriend, even one you didn't even really like. You just don't want to see them succeed after they yeah. after you break up with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and Nunez was was like, I, I think a lot of people thought he was going to be much better than he was, and he was going to be the heir apparent, you know, at some point. He's been much better elsewhere. It's true. Well, he always could hit. I mean, he always hit. He hit with the Yankees, too. He had a really good... If you look at his stats, he had a really good season in Minnesota and a really good season in San Francisco. Yeah. And he's... I mean, he's getting opportunities to play a lot more often now, too. I think that's probably helping him. He's still not great in the the field, and he can't run the bases, so it is what it is. I think he is um, pretty much the player we thought he was. He's just getting more time and hitting more. Um, But yeah, no, it was a big play. Sanchez has been playing freaking out of his mind. Honestly, this year, I mean, such, such an improvement... Uh, 
I, I think defensively, I'm not I'm not I, I'm not seeing him as a problem behind the plate at all anymore. Like, yes, there are some times when when he's you know you don't see the the blocking like you would, but who gives a shit when you're seeing the way that the the clip that he could throw out guys at, at and and hold people it's not even so much the throwing out the people it's holding them in position because that's a big thing even if he doesn't throw out the amount of guys that you see you know tops in the American League or whatever you're what you're doing is you're seeing the influence you're seeing the influence on the runners on the on the opposing team for what is possible with him with that with that cannon of an arm and he just looks like he's stronger in better shape he's mashing the ball He's might he might be might be you know one of the best if not the best player in the American League right now. He's leading the, the American League in home runs with 18. That ties his total from last year. Yeah, love that. And we're we're at the beginning of June. His uh, he had a couple throwing errors early in the season. Remember those? He threw him th- threw a couple balls into center field, and <clears throat> it's one of those things with his arm. You don't want him to lose confidence in. And I'm not I'm not suggesting he is because that is the best part of his catching game is his arm and his willingness to throw down to second base in a key situation and pick a guy off. Not many catchers have the balls to do that. Oh, he's, he's, he is not gun shy by any means. He doesn't, he doesn't give a fuck. He's sitting there and ready to, he's like a Molina brother, but he'll snap at you at any second. He's got that, that like, yeah, that influence. Oh, he's got to be on your toes on the base paths because you never know where the ball's going to go. And yeah, he's not going to be Austin Romine blocking the ball. He's not going to be, he's, he's, but as long as he's competent, as long as it's not getting in his own head, and then we're sitting there and a pitcher has to second guess a pitch, pitch selection in a key spot, because that's really where it comes in and can hurt the team, is if Adam Adovino is afraid to throw his slider with a guy on third base and and in a big situation in the eighth inning. And, and we've seen that in the past. I mean, I, I do feel like David Robertson in the past throwing in the eighth inning has you know thought twice about burying, burying one of his you know, breaking balls, you know, uh, just beyond the plate because of who's back there. And that's just not a thought in my head anymore. I mean, he just, he just looks like, first of all, if, if anybody thinks that, if everybody, anybody doesn't think that last year was, was just a, a weird year that was an outlier, that he was probably still nagging injuries, just a lot of, just a lot of weird things happened to him last year. Like it's a throw out year for me because we're seeing what he is at the plate now. And it's exactly what we thought he was from the beginning. He ever stepped foot as a New York Yankee. Like the guy is the home run that he hit on Saturday, opposite field, end of the bat was just all brute strength. It was just flip the wrist, get the bat on ball, doing amazing things. And, and the ball travels 400 freaking feet. It was uh, a pitch outside, a slider out. Blowing away. It look, it's like he's off balance. It's a weird swing. That's a fly ball 20 feet in front of the warning track for any other player. Yes. And he's just he's got so much power that he just needs to get the bat on the ball. And we could say that about a bunch of guys on this team. But when you're also the, the starting catcher who's, um, you know, to me improved. And now you're you're also because of that improvement, I think I think that that certainly helps the, the level of confidence that he has at the plate as well. Um, he's just a confident guy, man. And even uh, late in the game, I think it was the eighth or ninth inning last night when there was a um, a ball that was outside the zone that was called a strike, and he was visibly like visibly mad that he didn't eighth get the inning of a game that the scoreboard might say that doesn't really matter. Yeah. But yeah. 
I love that. I love that. Seeing that type of thing. I mean, like if anybody listens to the show for a while, you know that I like visible emotion, you know, whether it's good or bad. I just you don't always love it out of your catcher because the catcher can get, get a pitcher in trouble. I don't way. give a shit. And at that point in the game, I know he wasn't, he wasn't behind the plate last night, but, but at that point in the game, like, you know, he knows the strike zone. He knows the situation. He knows everything about it. He knows the, um, you know, how important that pitch was. Cause I think it was a two Oh count at that point. And was it workman or, um, it might've been work- <clears throat> whoever, was whoever it was, it was pitching in the eighth inning. He Barnes. Yeah, it might have been Barnes. He couldn't he couldn't find the strike zone. So the fact that he's getting a pitch like that that's, you know, two to three inches outside the the um the zone was was just irritating. So I just like seeing that visible emotion for as a fan, when I'm watching my players, I want to see that. I want to see frustration if you're doing poorly. I want to see visible happiness if you're doing well. Like I, I love that. And I, I kind of feed off of it. And I think a lot of other fans do. So I don't know. When you see little things like that, you're just like, it's um it's just good to the see number the number one thing we want to see is we, the number one thing we want to we see want you as to fans is we want the players to care as much as we care. Right. Which yeah. is crazy to say. I understand the lunacy of that <laughs> statement because of course they care more. They're in there every day. They're co- they're caring in different but ways. We are, We're we are psychotic about it. We yes. get emotional. There's no when you're a fan, when you're a diehard fan, you rationality goes out the window. In certain situations, in certain in certain situations, it, you're a lunatic. You're a lunatic, and you lose your mind. It doesn't matter if you're 12 years old or if you're 60 years old. You lose your mind. It's just it's one of those things that takes over your body, and I can't help it. Like I physically can't help it when something happens like that. And I don't know when it's going to be. It just I just it just happens, and then it and then you know my body tells you it happens. Right, because we can sit here sometimes the day after a game, or if the game happened a few days ago, and we can talk about it rationally. But in the moment. I'm not. I'm not that rational. I during playoff games, I can't no, even sit. It, I can't even games. sit down. I can't talk to people. If you're talking to me in a playoff game, I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. I, I'm standing there. I, I I'm like just in every single pitch. So yeah, it's um we're we're crazy lunatics, all of us. I want to talk about Herman in a second, but the Yankees bullpen had to really win the game on Saturday. They went to Green, Canley, Adovino, Holder, who got a had a really uh, big outing for them, Britain and then Chapman. Um, Yankees bullpen ranks number one in baseball for war already, 4.1. Tampa's at two at 2.6. So they've got a big lead in bullpen war, which is which is pretty crazy. First in strikeouts per nine innings, third in ERA, second in FIP, fourth in expected FIP. This is all without Dell and Batances. Yeah, I mean, when we were going, when, when uh, John Blair wrote that article about Yankees Tampa when we went to the trap the last time, and um, and I had him on. We were comparing some of the stats for the bullpens as well, and some of the a lot of the defense, a lot of the pitching stats, and ironically, like surprisingly, some of the offensive stats were very close. So so Tampa and the Yankees were were pretty close to the top of the of the team stats when you're looking at um, the bullpens as well, and you're seeing they're really good as well. Um, they're not using it as much, but the Yankees have a unit back there, man. And the fact that Batances isn't even there yet. Um, Again, we've st- we've talked about this. You got to tip your hat, and and the fact that we're seeing Tommy Canley back to the guy that we thought we acquired when he came over from the White Sox is huge. Been great, it's huge. He's been an animal out there. I mean, he's someone he's, tweeted me Psycho Tommy. That's his, that's his nickname. He is a, he's a psycho. He's a, he's crazy too. I, I love it. I mean, he's he's a you see that with his uh, fandom of the. I mean, people don't like the the Eagles, but you got. I mean, I appreciate the fact that and how diehard he is and and how obsessive he is. You see what kind of an emotional guy he is, you know, when you're looking at how how big of a fan he is uh, in other sports too. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he's essentially stepped in for Batantis and really not dropped dropped anything off. 
This is another thing I've been trying to pinpoint. Um, I was talking about this with Frank, actually. Chad Green's arm angle, just from the naked eye, looks a little lower. Like he's a little bit more three quarters uh, in his recent outings when he's been much, much better. And if we were looking at Brooks baseball, some charts on there. And when you compare the vertical arm slot and the horizontal arm slot, yes, it is slightly lower. I don't know. Maybe the Yankees would say that's just margin of difference that it, it doesn't it hasn't really changed. Um, but his starts or his uh, appearances early in the season when you look at the chart, are at the high end, and then now they're at the lower end in his recent games. So maybe some of those mechanics he was talking about that he was trying to fix in the minors was also an arm slot thing. And we've seen Chad Green. I, I don't know if anyone fully trusts Chad Green at this point yet, but he's starting to build that trust back up because he's having more good appearances. Yeah, they were talking about it on the broadcast, um, uh, I think it was on Saturday when they were uh – when they were talking about Chad Green about the uh, the late action on the fastball, and and that's to me one of the biggest things for him. When you're he's a fastball command pitcher, if he can command that fastball and he throws it 90, 98, 99, and he can throw it through triple digits if he needs to, he's the guy that get, that gets it up there. But he's got that late action on the fastball, and um, if he doesn't have that late action, you're seeing more of a, obviously a flat, a flat fastball that's more hittable. Um, but it seems like he's starting to get that back. And it does make sense. If you're throwing at more of a three-quarter slot or, or a, a little bit um, different arm angle, you're probably going to get some more action on it, whereas you're coming over top, um, it's going to be more of a of a flat fastball. You can definitely get more on it when you're uh, coming in at a, at a three-quarter angle. And, and you know, I think one of the big things that he did change was the um, was where he broke his hands. That, that was what they talked about, where yeah, his hand placement before the pitch. But that, has a, that also <clears throat> can have a very direct result in where you sure. release the ball, too, because if you think about it, if you start your hands up, uh, higher, you're not trying to compensate and get your your arm back into a slot that needs to be. So um, it's possible when he was breaking lower that he was overcompensating and his arm was going at a different slot that normally would be. Whereas you know now he's a little higher and the muscle memory is just keeping him in that in that same um, almost a parallel zone. It's uh, it's helping him. But either way, you want to see the movement on the fastball. You want to see the command on the fastball. But you really want to see the confidence building in his head and the fact that he knows he can throw that because that's that's what it comes down to. If he knows he can throw it, you know, that's a that's a much bigger difference than a guy that has zero confidence out there and looks lost. Because he's going to be an 80% of the time fastball pitcher. That's how he needs to succeed. Right. So if he doesn't have his fastball, he's shit out of luck. Yeah, and he needs to believe in the fact that he has that fastball. <clears throat> right. Hey, do you guys ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. Well, with millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way. You can search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. Um, maybe you're looking to go to the next Yankees homestand. The Yankees are going on the road. They're going to be playing up in Toronto. Maybe you want to go see the Yankees beat the beat the Blue Jays up in Toronto. Who knows? Stanley Cup Finals, uh, NBA Finals. Maybe you're looking to drop like two grand on a ticket. <laughs> Do it on SeatGeek. Um, you and I have used it uh, plenty of times. We've talked about this. My favorite thing is the app, the, the app experience. I think that's so huge when you're shopping for tickets. They make it easy. They color code them green, yellow, and red. You're looking for those green deals, whether you're looking for the for just a cheap ticket you want to get in the in the in the stadium, or you're looking for a really good seat. If you're looking for a green deal, that's uh, the way to go. And if you just look at their app store, they have over fifty thousand five star reviews. 
That's how you know they have good customer satisfaction, Scott. When you're looking at what they do, I think one of the one of the biggest things, if you've heard, if you listen to um, to Michael K, I mean Michael K has been ripped off of tickets in the past. He's he's bought bogus fraudulent tickets. Well, that's not a thing with SeatGeek. They are fully guaranteed, so you can shop with confidence. Um, I do have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the fastest and the easiest way to buy tickets. Uh, I, you know, I told you guys in the past, I've bought them for football. I, I have bought Yankee tickets with there. I bought in Springsteen. Springsteen's got a new album coming out, so that means he's probably going to tour. Unfortunately, it most likely won't be with the E Street Band. He'll probably do a solo tour. Nonetheless, you got to see him. The storytelling will be unbelievable. I'm sure the music will be uh, phenomenal again, too. I'm a big Springsteen guy. Uh, but SeatGeek, even... When you, uh, even when you're looking for a new one, if you have never used the app before, SeatGeek will give you $10 off your very first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code Bronx. Download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code Bronx uh, to get 20 or $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code Bronx for 10 bucks off your first purchase. One thing I think we're starting to see is Herman hit a wall. <clears throat> so three and two thirds against the Red Sox over the weekend. He still, we saw the classic Herman, 21 swings and misses, in it, but it was 87 pitches in those three and two-thirds innings. And he has been so good. He has been their best starting pitcher. He has really allowed Severino to take his time getting back, which is, which you cannot understate how valuable that has been to the team. But this is also a guy who pitched, it was like, what did we say, 90, like 85, 90 innings. I forget the exact number last year. His career high came five years ago in the minors for innings. So his workload has been a lot this year, and I think we're starting to see some effects on that. Yeah, and you know the other thing about Herman is I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from what he's done, but the the um, even though his some of his last good starts too, he's had he's had a lot of uh, base runners on, and there's been an element of him getting out of situations that um, you know that that could have gone very bad, and I think what we're what we're seeing now is is him not getting out of these situations when these runners are on, because to, I mean he's had yes he's always had the swing and miss, but he's still even if he's not walking guys uh, at, at a higher rate or at least not in the early in the season he wasn't. You still you still saw base hits, you still saw you know traffic on the base path, and he was getting out of these innings, and you especially saw it in the fourth fifth innings. You know later when he's going around for that third time, we've seen the stats on his third time through the lineup. They're significantly you know, worse than the first two. I mean, it's probably the case with most starting pitchers, but yeah. there's a significant difference between that. And you're starting, you see the, um, you see the traffic on the base path, you know, with that, with that third time around, you know, fifth, it's a lot of, it was a lot of deep counts. Um, and they just, it just takes a lot of pitches. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, the swing and miss stuff, it just isn't, isn't probably as sharp at that point as well. And obviously they, they have a better visual on, on what the, uh, what the, the pitcher's throwing, what the, uh, what the pitch is going to do. So you're, you know, the pitcher's always at a disadvantage when you're going and facing a guy, a second, third, fourth time through the lineup. I mean, that's unless you're, unless you're throwing like, you know, you're on your best day uh, and you're just, you're just filthy and hitting on uh, throwing unhittable stuff. The pit, the, the batter going to have another advantage because they've seen what you can do. His previous start was against Kansas City, by far the worst start of his season. He gave up four home runs, seven runs. And then the time before that was a so-so outing against Baltimore. Five innings, three runs. Um, the Yankees pulled him because they had a huge lead. But I think the discussions are starting that how are they going to start to manage his workload? What's gonna, are they going to just use him as an opener going forward? I know Dallas, <clears throat> Dallas Keuchel, uh, because the draft is this week, it starts on Monday after the Yankees don't 
have to lose their their draft pick by signing Keuchel. Are they going to bring someone like that in to help manage his workload? If you add another starting pitcher, whether it's bringing back Severino or adding Dallas Keuchel, can you then maybe skip Herman a few times to give him a little bit extra rest, and that that way you also manage his innings? I don't know what the right play is. Like, do you skip him every other time, or do you shut him down for a period of time to manage? Like that, I always struggle with. Like, what's better for the pitcher? What's better for the team? Yeah, but I mean, if you if you shut him down, then he's got to ramp back up too and, and find all that stuff again. So I almost feel like that's more uh, risky. It seems than like a lot more giving work. a guy well, basically like nine days in between starts. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, one, I think the uh, the draft competition fell off yesterday, right? I think that's it fell off yesterday. So now, um, as of today or last night at some point, maybe midnight, uh, Kimbrel and and uh, Keuchel no longer are. I think it's the week of the draft that it kicks okay. off. Either way, the um, it, it's um, it's 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 not going to be a consideration for the draft pick. But yeah, it depends on what happens because right now we're looking at the depth. Yes, Paxton is is back. Um, we're hoping that we can get Severino back at some point. But you're you're looking at the options and and there just aren't great options to skip starts as well. So you're looking not at now. No, no, not, not right now. now. So that you're, you're in a position where you can't get too cute with that, with that rotation until you have bodies fully back. Uh, you see that Paxson's, you know, back uh, throwing hundred pitches again, or right around there. Um, you want to see a lot of these things, Severino coming back and, and, and getting back into the rotation, which I don't even know if they can honestly wait for that point. They probably have to No, make that's a move. It. That's actually probably too far away. Yeah, so I, you know, I think all eyes right now are who gets Keuchel. Are the Yankees actually in on Keuchel? There was a picture of Dallas Keuchel without a beard. I had no idea who the guy was. I was, I didn't believe that it was Dallas Keuchel. He looked like a completely different person. Um, well, Heyman tweeted out: Yankees say Keuchel would have to shave his signature beard if he's if he signs with them, and he Keuchel has said he's willing to do that. Over the Yankees considered favorites to sign him with the Braves and Cardinals, as of early today, still were. Uh, thought they were thought to be a part on money, so I guess they're haggling over the the price. I don't know why. If you're, I've seen you're I've really, seen little little driplets of information. I don't know how accurate it is, but uh, something I saw. So I don't even remember what the hell I saw. It was last week at some point that he's looking for seventeen for the rest of the year. Okay, and you know what? I kind of understand his point of view on that. But here's the thing: whether he signs for seven or seventeen. The Yankees are going to be over that next threshold. So, what the hell is the difference? Well, that's the thing. Are they are they willing to go over that threshold? If they are, then who cares, right? Exactly. If you sign him, you're going to be over because you're. Oh yeah, I know. That, but that's right up against that right now. But that's what it is. Like I think the Yankees and the Red Sox are in a similar position. Is who's going to? If one of you are going to spend the money, is the other one going to do it now too, or is are they both waiting to see who who blinks first? Um, and is that is that Dallas Keuchel or Craig Kimbrell? Um, are they playing a game of, I mean, of Russian shit. roulette if we're, if and tricking? We're, if we're playing Russian roulette with the Red Sox over spending money, it's, it's and it's not even spending money; it's adding the player, which is essentially spending money. But you're they're both up against tax thresholds that are, are putting them in a similar position. It's just this is see, it's now, this is pissing me off. <laughs> this is pissing me off because we uh, we said I don't care if you don't sign um, Manny Machado or Bryce Harper if you want to take the team in a different direction, but put the best team on the field. Don't don't uh, we we have gotten shit for supporting quote unquote the team to get under the tax threshold in previous years because everyone we thought okay we're gonna gear up let's go let's go on this 2019 free agent class and they still spent money in this offseason. 
Britain, Hap, uh, LeMahieu, uh, were all signed as free agents. So fine, that's great. But if, if a, a next tax threshold, which could potentially put you over the top for a World Series run, is going to stop you from signing Dallas Keuchel, that is when I get pissed off as a fan. I saw JJ tweet this out, or, or might have been Keith. I don't know. I think it came from the George's Box uh, Twitter account. I don't remember. But I like it. I like it a lot. And I think this is exactly how it needs to happen. And I know it's not the same situation because there one was a comeback um, from, from a player that had already been here, and um, this would be different. But I think it could have a similar, a very similar uh, feeling because Dallas Keuchel has been a Yankee killer, right? He's been a Yankee killer, notorious, been a Yankee killer. Um, he's, he's single-handedly knocked us out of the playoffs in the past. But if, if they sign Dallas Keuchel and he shows up in Cashman's box without a beard and Susan Waldman loses her shit about yeah. Dallas Keuchel coming back and now he's once a Yankee killer but now is going to help the Yankees chase number 28 in the middle of a, of a big homestand, a night game, maybe on June 22nd against the Houston Astros. I don't know. Oh. I kind of like that. I kind of like that. I feel like, like we would narrative. build it off. I like the narrative. I like the fact that he would then throw it in the Astros' face, um, and that he would make this big announcement coming coming off the box. I think this is the the perfect way. I'm pretty sure I've just laid out the perfect scenario for Dallas Keuchel and the New York Yankees to uh, to uh, how, how they need to approach this signing and get it done. They uh, they could do like an unveil. He could wear a fake beard. And like, so no, everyone, I don't even want that. I just, this is all I want. I want him to come out there. I want him to do the Roger Clemens with his hands out. I want him to like, you know, yeah, just rip like the beard, my rip people the fake beard off. And my, look, I'm, sh- I'm shaved. I, I, these are my I'm people ugly now. No, I, I want him to be like the, the guy that nobody even knows who the hell he is. Like, who is this? Who is right. this guy? Oh, no they'll recognize him. They will recognize him with the beard though. But if he comes out without a beard, who is this guy? Why are we making a big deal of this guy? And Susan Waldman's like, oh my God, wait a minute. Who is it? It's, it's. There's no beard. Oh my goodness! It's Dallas Keuchel, and you know, notorious Yankee killer. Now gonna help the Yankees go for number twenty-eight and lose her complete everlasting mind. And John just sitting there, like staring at his, at his, uh, at his work wife. His flip, his flip phone. Uh, <laughs> he had a flip phone. Yeah, that's where. That's what he was talking. He was talking. He was talking to Dallas Keuchel's people on his flip phone over the weekend. Look, I'm telling you, this is this is a beautiful situation, a beautiful scenario. The timing is kind of working out. I feel like it. It could actually work out pretty well as far as timing. You could even do it where he pitches on Sunday. Like let's TBD pitcher on Sunday. He's gonna come back and pitch against the Astros. I mean, why not? Why not? uh, Cashman's box on on Saturday. Yeah, let's do Yankee Stadium mound on Sunday. You got plenty of time now to to get the signing done in, in hush hush. He's ready to go. Sunday is a TBD guy. All of a sudden, Dallas Keuchel pops out. Cashman's box. Boom. Announce him as the starter on, on Sunday. Closes the series out with a sweep. And, and, we, uh, and we now Head are off to controlling. London. And then we go to London. Because you know he wants to be in London. Yeah. I, I think, Who doesn't? Uh, well, I think, listen, <clears throat> the rotation needs help in some way. And he is, he is the clearest uh, option for help right now. That's only going to cost you money. <clears throat> I, I if you you can go out and trade for somebody, but that might be too costly as far as young players go. So if it's only going to cost you money, and it and we're talking about a tax threshold, just do it, pony up and do it. If it's going to help you get through the rest of the season and into October. To be very clear, I don't care about the money. I, I don't care about the Yankees. None money. of us, none of us really care about the money no. until it stops the team from doing something. Correct. We 
we i under listen i understood i i tried to put, i tried to put myself in a perspective of i'm running the team what is the best way to run this team so i can have success in the future and that was to get under the tax threshold last year that's what i'm talking about i'm more talking about the fact that that um you know that i think you and i have both supported the fact that cashman and and ownership has has managed the 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 roster and the money to get under that threat it just makes sense it's 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 money that could be spent on a player uh, afterwards that was literally just getting thrown away and and actually given to other teams essentially um, to make them better so why are you going to do that why are you going to give them more of a competitive advantage by giving them uh, adding more money to this pool that that then gets distributed um, when you can manage it still have a very good team on the field and not have to do that and I think that's what's happening right now. The fact that they've already gotten under it, now they they are out of the penalty. They're gonna go back over it at some point. So who cares when it is? Let's just get this team to let, let's get this team to the promised land. It's been ten years. We're ready to go. I mean, the reality is they could be over it even if they don't sign Keiko. That's how close they are to it. Because yes. a lot of different a lot of different factors are. Uh, you got something? Yeah. Well, it's it's nothing breaking. But I was I was looking up because uh, I hadn't looked to see what he was doing lately, what Gio Gonzalez was doing, you know, because I think that's a lot of people are thinking, well, we had Gio Gonzalez. He started off really well with the, uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers. He is now on the 10 day injured list with a dead arm. <laughs> so that's where he is. Uh, but he was pitching to a two, one, 3.19 ERA. I don't have, and he would have put metrics. you over because if he had made the majors, he gets a $3 million basically roster bonus for making the major league roster. And then what was it? 500 K for every start he makes. Yeah. In the majors. Yeah. It was, it was, um, as soon as he's called up, you're go, you're, you're over. Yeah. So uh, do you want Gio Gonzalez or do you want Dallas Keuchel at that point? Right. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it because you're over. Who cares? Who cares how much you're over? You're over. Once you're over the tax is the next. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Sabathia was pretty good, actually, returned from the injured list. Um, struck out eight guys in six innings, uh, three runs. The two home runs, the first, I didn't even think they were terrible pitches. Kind of a, an inside cutter that J.D. Martinez just got to. And then I think it was a, a slider, slider. kind of low in the zone to, to um, uh, Bogarts. Hit, they, hit, they hit, I thought, two okay pitches. I'm not even worried about it. The fact... Like the ball's gonna fly out occasionally with him, um, but I thought what we saw is even after he ran to first base on a on a ball that I was surprised he even tried to run to first base when Luke Voigt was. He doesn't uh, do that anymore, huh? But he, he did he, do that anymore. But he motored there. He got he was getting close. I mean, I think the runner was beating him. That knee must be feeling really good. Yeah. Well, he started limping afterwards. So, but the fact that he was limping and uh, and then pitched, I, I don't know, two three more innings after that was a was a good sign, I guess. But he looked he looked good. He threw. Uh, what six innings? Uh, I think he got eight strikeouts. So I mean, he was getting swings and misses. Uh, yeah, he left some balls where the Red Sox could get to them. But um, overall, I thought it was a positive performance for sure. The big thing is though, Clint Frazier, and it's just another terrible night in right field. Probably the worst night he's had in right field, and he's had some bad ones. And it's probably one of the worst nights I've ever seen defensively, for real. It, uh, I think actually, A Rod said he's played three. He said he played three tr- singles into two triples and a double. I don't remember that. I'll, what I'm doing is going off my memory of what I remember, <laughs> and and this is what I remember. How many times am I going to say remember? But uh, Cliff Frazier was absolutely abysmal. I mean, I was thinking of Chuck Knobloch when I was watching it. That's what I was thinking of. 
He has the fielding yips, fielding equivalent of the throwing yips. I mean, like not even going to the right places. It looked like he didn't even see things. So, yeah. The one in the, what was that, the eighth eighth inning inning. with the just pop fly down the right field line. Yes. Which I think Judge just catches, never mind, just has it into a Judge catches it in like three strides. He, uh, Frazier ran to a spot where the ball was not. Right. And then the ball takes a kick to the right field corner. People were saying, oh, he didn't judge the spin on the ball, but... He wasn't in the right spot for the ball where it was going to land. He overran the ball. He The ball landed almost like next to him. So he wasn't even going to the right spot. It's like, he I don't know if he's concerned when he's getting that close to the line that he's looking down to see where the wall is and then looking up and then like losing the ball. He doesn't look comfortable out there. He doesn't look like he is, um, you know, honestly, if, I, if I'm being honest with, with the preparation of like, I know he's been talking about... Uh, you know, putting all this extra work in, but it doesn't seem like he's familiar and comfortable with the field and where things are. We saw that in Kansas City. He certainly didn't uh, look comfortable knowing where where he was in right field. That's understandable. He's on the road. But Yankee Stadium, you know, even if you're not a, a right fielder by trade or you're not over there all the time, he's played there enough where he should absolutely know that stadium well. Mm-hmm. Potentially the worst thing was that he didn't talk to the reporters after the game Um there was finally a report at 2 a.m. So from Coley Harvey, who must have texted Frazier late night and got a response. Or um, Frazier just finally returned his text that, yeah. at 2 a.m. I've been working really hard every day with outfield coach Reggie Willis before brat- batting practice starts. And despite what has been happening during the game, I'm still confident in myself to be able to turn this around soon. It's tough to cost the team runs and a potential win, especially when playing at home against Boston, things keep happening that shouldn't. And I'm acknowledging that with all of the early work I'm doing, I'm acknowledging that with all the early work I'm doing before games. Standard cliche response. Hey, I'm putting in the work. Um, I mean, I'm trying to get better out there. And hold on. That's good. That's fine. But you say that immediately after the game. You stand there and you stand at your locker and you be accountable. I think Hoke tweeted out that one thing that the Yankees teach in spring training is you be accountable. You're going to mess up gonna happen gonna strike out a lot in big you're you're gonna strike out in big situations you're gonna make fielding errors you're gonna give up home runs if you're a pitcher like all that stuff is known when you're a baseball player if you get out two or three times you're a hall of famer don't don't hide from the media that's only gonna make it worse you stand there and say i was bad tonight i will be better next time people put it to rest and we move on how hard is that to understand so I, I think that we're here, we're playing a, first of all, it was a bad move. It was a bad, bad move. And I kind of love the, uh, the condescending tweet from, from Brian Hoke and the fact that this is what you, they were taught and, and the fact that he walked away, like, well, I'm going to just, let me, let me tell you up front what they teach first. The Derek Jeter school of talking to the media says you be accountable for what you do. And no matter if it's good or bad, you talk to the media because they have a job to do. It's their job to get your answers and then write about it. If they don't get your answers, they won't have to go to other players or they have to, you know, get in your mind and put out things that you probably don't want to be put out there. You controlling the narrative is you standing in front of that locker and being accountable. That's another part of it. But the fact that you're, you're not allowing these guys to do their job, um, is a problem, and, and it pisses them off. I'm sure it pisses them off because they work stupid hours. They're all tired. They're all away from their families. Oh no, no, no! See, I disagree. And they and they want to see it. They want to see the things. 
and them them uh, being able to tweet that he left that gets them that gets the beat reporters more attention. I mean, it gets them more attention, fine, but it doesn't it doesn't make their job easier. It makes their job now they have to speculate and they have to go around and get more quotes from different people to kind of put together a puzzle. They always yeah, want uh, they always want the soundbite from the player always. Because because what you would have got know what the soundbite is. I could have told you yes, but Cliff the, Frazier's response without even seeing his response. That's the standard I, response. I'm working out there every day. We see the the videos before the game of Clint Frazier taking fly balls in right field. He's I know already he's doing said that he's work. already said this. We we knew that 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 answer before he came out there and, and or before he texted it because he said it in the past. He said it on his last bad right. game. Right. I so understand I, what you're saying, but what? Hear me out. The fact that he left. We know what Clint Frazier is, right? He's a highly emotional guy that lets that get in his head. I think he left because he couldn't control himself. He didn't know what he was going to say, and he left because he's like, and maybe this is his thinking, and I don't think it's better. I think it's still worse. I think you just need to be able to control yourself at this point. You're a professional athlete. It's part of your job to talk to the media, be a professional. But I think that he's still... Uh, got a lot of immaturity and the fact that he left was because he was mad couldn't control himself and just said decided to leave and it was a bad decision it was a rash decision and he's probably going to pay for it because he's going to get these questions now for for a long time and the fact that the fact that he pissed them off this is where it's going to bite him he he pissed them off by leaving because it made their job harder and now they're going to continue to to pepper him with questions now they don't give him the benefit of the doubt and it's not like it's just that night where they're pissing them off now it's going to carry on and, and it's in the back of their minds and lingering. So they're not going to give him the, um, you know, the softballs when he has a bad day, they're going to come at him and it's, it's going to be worse. I, I mean, I think we're, we agree on the end result that now he's got a tougher time with the media, but I disagree with you that it's because that Clint Frazier pissed off these beat reporters. It's just now they have to ask the question because this is what people are going to care about. This is what people want to talk about is is Clint Frazier going to speak to the media after games? Now this is a thing. Clint Frazier walking out of Yankees uh, clubhouse last night and not answering questions has made is Clint Frazier going to avoid the media a thing now. So good job, Clint. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he avoids it again after after avoiding it the first time, knowing what the backlash is, then you're just you're you're it's blatant stupidity and insanity because he wants to just, endear himself to fans. I think it's very obvious he, with with this all the cleat stuff he's doing. He wants to be. He wants to be a celebrity in addition to a baseball uh, player. And I, on the surface of that, have no problem with it. As long as you're performing on the field, if you want to embrace your, your fame and connect with the fans to market yourself better, to have more fun, to be more popular, to sell more jerseys, whatever it is, fine. That's the opportunity you have out there. Some guys just want to go out there and treat it like a nine-to-five job and put their head down and just sign their contract and be done with it. I respect that as well. But that is not what Clint Frazier seems to want to do. He wants to be the most popular guy on the team. He's not going to be. I mean, he'll never be that guy. But but, I, ne- but he wants to be popular. He changed his number to 77 because Aaron Judge had number 99. He, well, and because asking, he was trying to troll Mickey Mantle and Susan Waldman, apparently. Well, right. right. But he's he's tweeting about all these uh, these cleats that he's doing. He's um, he's asking for nicknames, right? Like he's He's trying hard. And okay, so so some of these things are leftover narratives. Like the the whole nickname thing was, was definitely care. something that happened. I don't no, see. I, you're, I don't care if he does this stuff right. as long as he catches the ball in right field. <laughs> I don't care when you don't catch the ball in right field and then you leave the clubhouse and don't answer the questions. 
you got a big problem, dude. <clears throat> not gonna work. It's not gonna work if he's gonna if he, if this is what's gonna happen. I, I care how many freaking home runs he hits. I have zero 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 problem with him doing any of that stuff off the field. Like I think it's just adding to his. He's just being himself in the sure. sense that he likes fashion and he's doing these these cool things. I think it's cool what Agreed. he's doing with the thousand percent with the shoes. Like I think it's it doesn't. I don't think that has anything to do with what he's doing on the field. I think the fact is is that sometimes he's got a uh, a maturity problem. Mm-hmm. Dealing with pressures of of the struggle and and the fact that when you have one struggle, it can platoon into other things. And to his credit, he did come back the next inning and got a base hit in a situation that he needed to get on base and um, and put the Yankees in a position where they they could do damage in the eighth inning and uh, and and possibly put more runs on the board. So to his credit, it didn't he didn't let it affect him. He had a good at bat, but in the outfield, he looks lost. And and who knows? I mean, is he? Are there are there things that have that have happened with this concussion thing that are that are lingering in the outfield where he's not as comfortable where he's being um, a, a little bit uh, hesitant in the way that he goes after balls that's that's just affecting the way he does it's it's very possible I don't know I can't get in his head I can't understand well what that's he's what thinking. we said is that why he's gun shy going into the right field corner and up against the wall and that's also a very real issue that that I understand but. Um, the warning track is there, so you know how many steps you have before the wall. And it, is that what, is it, that why it's called a um, a warning track? It is. Oh. And in Kansas City, if you remember that play into the right field corner, he fell down seven feet from the right field wall because he thought he was going to hit it. So he didn't understand. Like I know it's a visiting ballpark, but your job as an outfielder is to go out there and understand. Okay, I have ten steps after I hit the warning track. It's, that's too many. Whatever. I have three strides after I hit the warning track before I hit the wall. No, this is this is what you're paid to do. No, I get this it. This is I what mean, you're, you're paid make... to do as a as a baseball player. Your life is not that hard I, as a baseball player. <laughs> like, do that, dude. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like, I, I at the same time, I also understand the fact that you know you're coming in at a different angle, at different speeds. It's not like you could really project how many strides you have once you hit the track, depending on where you come from. But you should be familiar with it. Uh, the fact that you're at a visiting ballpark, it's a it's a tough outfield in the first place. I get that a little bit. So I'm not killing them for that one. The fact that you're at Yankee Stadium and, and you're We're not, not talking about Fenway Park right field corner here. I mean like, it's a on. big it's a big stadium. The, it's a big, it's a big park, outfield. It's not it's, there's no corners, there's no triangles. So you're no still running. I'm like, why am monster. I still running and not up against a field uh, like a wall? It doesn't feel right that I'm still running and I'm not up against a wall. I kind of understand it. Again, I'm not whatever. The, <laughs> the use Yankee Stadium because that's that's to me we just saw the worst the worst night from a right fielder that I have seen probably ever, and it was at Yankee Stadium. But he your couldn't home, feel. Your home well, he could, one of them was yeah, that's basically a line drive like ground ball that he that just he misplays, boots, misplays boots, and it goes to the wall. Didn't even there's boot another it. Just one. Didn't even touch him. There's, there's another one where it's a bad break on a ball, and he dives, and that doesn't doesn't work out. Like don't dive when you know you're not going to catch it. Just play the ball in a hop and get the ball in, and then the the pop fly friggin'. Eighth uh, inning, yeah. Eighth inning thing. He's not seeing the ball well because the first step is bad. The other night when he had um, a, a bad first step, a bad play on the ball, a bad throw, and he even came up and threw the ball wild as hell when he when he uh, after the dive last night too in the seventh. Yeah. You know, it's it's just overall like th- he's not seeing the ball well. He's in his own head. Uh, the first step is terrible. The you knew he was going to dive at the ball after the errors that he made. He was trying to make a, 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 a to save himself, even though. He had a bad jump on the ball in the first place. His first step was back. Whatever. We could kill him for, for a long time on this. The fact is, is that I think he's got the ability. He's certainly got the athleticism um, to, to play the outfield. We didn't see this guy 
what, two years ago when he was playing the outfield in left field. So is this a, a, a situation now where he can only play left field and that's it? And he just needs to play one position and just know that position and he's limited in the sense that he can he cannot be flexible in the outfield? That's unfortunate, um, but maybe that's maybe that's him. I don't know. He, he can be better. There's no doubt. I want to run through a couple quick injury updates. Um, Didi, so we thought maybe he'll be back for the Toronto series. It's now probably looking more like later in the week. Boone said uh, June 7th against Cleveland um, is more realistic. Who knows, though? Diddy could push his way out. I can't believe he's, taking, I can't believe he's taking this long. <laughs> Severino played catch on flat ground again on Friday, so he's still far away. Batances threw breaking balls in the bullpen. That's the first time he did that, and he said he felt good. Good news there. Judge taking fly balls, swinging off a tee. Um, he's going to Tampa for rehab soon, so we could see him maybe end of June, early July, I think is probably realistic. Stan also going back to Tampa to start a rehab. And then I got a couple fun ones. Troy Tulowitzki is, quote, pretty much over the injury. Okay. <laughs> Greg Bird is heading to Tampa to start the next stages of his rehab. My question to you is, do we care? No, I really don't think we care. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how Scranton's doing at first base right now, but maybe he could help them out. And, well, I, don't, and I don't think he's going to uh, – uh, McBroomy, Mike Ford, Mike Ford Mc, out of out of the lineup. Yeah, Mc, Mike Ford and McBroomy are, are, are two guys you got to get in there now against. Um, I don't care about Bird. The you know if he's back and, and swinging the bat, I mean that's good. Just adds give us some more depth. Like that's what he is at this point. He's a depth piece, maybe, which is ironic as shit because he's no, never there's healthy. No, there's no way he there's no way that he gets his way onto this team unless there's somehow more injuries. No, that's that's why I said depth piece. He's got to he's got to be healthy in AAA. And there has to be an opportunity that that opens up, yes. Um, but it's uh, good. To, Luke, like here's Luke Voigt has to get hurt. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> Depth. And if he does, I just I'm just saying, what did Greg Bird do? Did he have a voodoo cat on him or something? Like what? Oh, uh, well, if, if Voigt gets hurt, yeah, 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 yeah probably. Um, I love the fact that Judge is coming back. Uh, it, it seems like he, for all accounts, he seems like he's over the oblique injury. That's what it seems like, at least. Um, he's been taking, you know, dry swings. Now we're going a little wetter swings, a little more wet damp. off of, off of the tee. They're damp swings, um, moist swings, if you will. Yeah. yeah, some people don't like that word. They hate it. They hate it. Uh, but but it's good Doesn't to see. And he's going to be back for the London series again. Like probably they all will be. Going to Toronto for the first time. We kind of mentioned that uh, that the Yankees have not played Toronto. We crap on Baltimore. Everyone craps on Baltimore. Toronto's like barely ahead of them in the standings. So this is another bad team that you got to beat up on. The the, pro, the difference with the with the two is that the uh, the Blue Jays have names in their rotation that wouldn't surprise you if they came out and threw well and 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 could shut you down. Uh, you still got to beat the Blue Jays. You still got to beat beat the Blue Jays. Um, it's just more fun shitting on the Orioles just because. <laughs> well, it, because they're they're more laughably bad than the Blue Jays. Yeah. But uh, let's not treat the Blue Jays. Let's not go lose a series to the Blue Jays and say, well, it's tough to play in Toronto. No. No. They should beat the Blue Jays. That's, that's absolutely the, the, the case. They need, to, they need to beat up on the Blue Jays. They need to beat up on the Orioles to take care of that business. Because guess what? You got 19, more, 19 games from this point on against the Blue Jays. You can't start losing games to the Blue Jays. We're not. Don't worry. It hasn't happened yet. Relax. You got a prediction for the Blue Jays record? No, I don't. I'm, I'm, I, I am good with my predictions right now. I'm, I'm holding steady. Yeah. 
Let's get to mailbags. If you guys want to submit mailbag questions, a couple ways to do it. You can uh, submit an email at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can tweet us at Yankees Podcast, or you can join the Facebook group, The Bronx Pinstripe Show. And that's where the first one from Ken Sunderson comes from. Is anyone else kind of finished with Kendrick's Morales experiment? I don't really see much. Is it only because he's a lefty? Why not play LeMahieu at first and keep Urshela, Estrada, and Torres in the lineup if Voight needs a night off? And I think this is going to uh, really come to a head when Didi comes back. We touched on this last episode. We theorized that it might be Estrada because Estrada has options. But um, if I, I again, I think if it were if I'm the GM, I'm, I'm releasing Morales. But I was trying to say what is Cashman going to do, and I think we're going to see Estrada go down. I think they are going to play with some options here because, you know, once you release a guy, obviously that's it. Uh, and they like the flexibility. And the fact is that if you have a guy that has that's not playing very often anymore, especially if Didi were to come back, then then yeah, there's there's flexibility there because Estrada does have options. You could bring him back up. Whereas if you get rid of um, Morales, and I still think they kind of like him being on the team, uh, then that's it. You know that that experiment is over. I thought it was hilarious last night. There, are, first of all, I cannot watch or listen and watch a game on Sunday night without just like ripping apart a rod every every. I just I can't help myself. It's like it's like I have to. I don't even know. It's nobody. Nobody else gets me like that. But it just it drives me nuts. Um, but the fact that he's talking about Morales bunting in the it was the ninth inning. Uh, it, like I don't disagree with the with the with what he was saying. It's just the funny that he says it. You just hate you. You hate the you hate the guy that's saying the words. I, he just, Arod would not bunt in that situation, not in a million years. So the fact that he's saying it and saying that it's like the the team thing to do, that it's unbelievable that he wouldn't do it, it's just uh, it's laughable to me because you would never see a, a Alex Rodriguez bunt in that situation. Anyway, whatever. Um, you know, you realize you're talking shit about the next Yankee manager. <laughs> Kendris Morales has not been good. Uh, Yankee manager. He Yankee. He's he's he started out. You know, decent, got an early home run, and that was it. He's he's been he's been bad. He's been mm. bad ever since, and he's not a good team. He's not a good player on this team. But the fact is that he's a veteran, can play some first base, go out and DH a little bit. They like that. Um, what is the best Yankees defense when Didi's back? Infield. The what best defense. Um, wow. That's gonna leave Glaber Torres off the field. I think. I think it's. Yeah. Um, I think it's Didi at short. I think it's Lemayhew at second. Urshela at third. Yeah. And Void at first. Yeah. I agree. Well, I mean, that. honestly, actually, I take that back. If we're leaving, if we're going completely best defense, then I would put uh, like lockdown defense. Then I'm Lemayhew at first. Glaber at second. That is completely wasting Lemayhew's defense. Totally wasting it. I get it, but you asked me a question, and I'm answering the question. Okay. I, I actually but even what, disagree with that but because, one, Le, because LeMahieu is not a first baseman. He can play first base, but he's not a first baseman. Bro, he's better he than Lavoie at first base. He is in a he's he played a handful of games. I don't give base. a shit. He could play the outfield better than most people probably. Fine, but that's I just don't think you're gonna get. Uh, and a lot of people are saying, okay, put LeMahieu at first. You get Glaber second, uh, Didi short, Urshela third, and you DH Luke Voigt. and. You'll see that sometimes, but I don't. Think, I don't think that's going to be a regular everyday lineup. No. I think Lemayhew is going to be shifting from second to to third, maybe one or two days at, at first base every now and again. You're going to get days off for Didi. You're going to get half days off for Didi because you don't want to rush him back too quickly. 
Glaber's still going to be filtering back and forth. There's going to be a rotation yes. going on here. Um, but I think if you're putting DJ LeMahieu at first base is a complete waste of his defense. He is such an elite second baseman. And he's a very good third baseman. That first base is like you're losing half the player. The reason the reason we love DJ LeMahieu so much is yes, uh, he's a contact hitter. He's got uh, great numbers with runners in scoring position, but he's also a lockdown defender. It's not that at first base. I mean, he, he very well could be, but the um, but I I mean I understand what you're saying, and and I was just playing contrarian in the sense that like if I'm looking at all hands team, then that's probably what it would be because I probably think that he could play a better first base. Look, I know everybody's like all over Luke Voigt's nuts for his defense and the fact that he's like getting better. The a lot of the plays that he's made, and this is not a popular opinion, a lot of the plays like this the 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 nice looking spectacular plays that he's made with the glove are because his feet are freaking slow and he didn't get to the ball fast enough and and, the, and he's making the glove ball. A lot of first basemen move their feet better and are in front of the balls that he's diving for. So, you know, take that with what you will, you know, for a grain of salt. I think he's playing good defense. I think he's it's fine. Improved. I'm not complaining about his, his defense. His defense definitely improved. I'm not complaining it's about his defense, but he's not a freaking gold glove guy over there by any means. Um, that being said, you're having LeMahieu at, at second base or um, at third base. Like, yeah, he's in a better position. But I do think Glaber could play a good second base. LeMahieu is a gold glove second baseman. Um, Urshela is a gold glove caliber third baseman. Didi, gold glove caliber shortstop. So we're playing with ops, all, a lot of options that are very good. Um, and yes, there's going to be a rotation once once this happens. And I think that's good for the team long term. Because you know with the shifting and these guys moving around, I think it's good that they're all playing different positions. The next question is sort of on the same topic, so let me just read it from Chris Mack. Are you guys concerned that when Didi gets back and Glaber moves back to second, that he, Glaber, could struggle defensively? No, I'm I'm not really concerned about it. I mean, it, it could happen with a couple things here and there. Well, so advanced fielding metrics say that Glaber is pretty much a league average second baseman and a league average shortstop. Yeah. He's got actually better. <clears throat> you Okay. It's effects of the weekend. It's been, it was, a, it was a weekend, all right. He's got slightly better range at second base, uh, so I think his, um, I think because when it's basically it's comparing to other second basemen. He's got he's got better range at second because he's base, a shortstop, but he's actually more instinctual at shortstop, and that's evident by the fact that he's actually plus one defensive run saved at shortstop. And he's minus one defensive run saved at second base. Well, I, I second base is a relatively new position to him in the sense that you know he's he's a, a natural shortstop. He's been playing shortstop, so you'd you'd expect him to be, you know, more comfortable over in the, um, you know, in the sixth spot. But when you're when you're looking at him as a second baseman, I always wanted him to stay at second base. I wanted the Yankees to keep there so he could get comfortable there and more comfortable there. Whatever. I'm, I'm beyond that at this point. Like I think he's he's um, uh, you know at a point where he's going to play. He's a he's a I think he's an average defender. And, and, you know, with the potential to be uh, slightly above average. I think that's where he kind of slots in. In his second part of the question, I know what you're going to answer. Uh, name one former Yankee that you wish could have won a World Series with the team but didn't. Yeah, this is an easy answer. It's Don Mattingly. Oh, okay. I actually thought you were going to say Mike Messina. Why would I say Mike Messina? I forgot you love Don Mattingly. I forgot you're old. I never, yeah, Mike Messina, I mean, for the, for the large part of, of my youth was a Baltimore Oriole. So there was a, there was a, there was a, not that I don't like him because I do, um, but no, there's, there's, there's nothing there for that. It's a thousand percent dominantly. No love for Chase Headley? No, but you want to know what's funny and I'm going to retweet this uh, at some point. I did just find the, you uh, doing your Chase Headley dodgeball impression. 
the image, the picture of you as Chase Headley playing dodgeball from that horrible commercial two years ago? I don't remember doing this. Oh, nice. This will be good. Everybody look out for this tweet. This is one of those things that, like, yeah, there's, I, put, I put out so much Chase Headley hate back in the day yeah. that I don't even remember what I said. You didn't say anything. It's, a, it's an image. Oh, there you go. Final question, Carol Morby. Why does Domingo Herman take his hat off and look inside before pitching? Just curious. It's not just Domingo Herman who does this. All pitchers are doing it on the team. They've got a little cheat sheet underneath the build of cap. Yep, CC had one that got stuck to his head for a while that was hilarious because he couldn't find it, and it was actually just like on his sweaty-ass head. Um, he was looking all on the ground. You see the outfielders doing it. They're looking at little cheat sheets that they have, uh, you know, where a certain guy is. They have little notes, whatever it is, probably little cliff notes on how to uh, pitch The pitching ones are probably signs. Um, well, signs that they could also be um, uh, data on, on the players they're facing. I mean, that's a lot of things to have on a little thing. I, I think it's probably mostly the second set of signs uh, that you're seeing for, for mostly pitchers uh, or maybe just little reminders of what to do. Mecha- yeah, I think, mecha- I think that's mechanical pro- reminders. Could be. You know, could arm be. slot, keep your hands in this position. Make sure you're, you know, you feel your right toe, you know, like things like dumb shit like that, that they, that they get in their heads to, to make sure that their body's going in the place that they want it to go. I think that's more yeah. it. You outfielders, I think, are, are literally telling you where guys hit. I think O'Neill talked about this on the broadcast recently that the whole outfield positioning has changed so much. But when he was playing, it was a coach saying two, two steps to the left, yeah, like, four steps, four steps in aircraft, or something like air that. Air traffic controllers. And now it's probably down to the exact like inch on where you should play a guy. Right. Yeah. No, there's probably Clint Frazier probably has the step count written on his hat because he does look at it each maybe time. they're giving him too much information maybe he's confused out there just go out and play baseball sometimes is the best answer i think sometimes that's a real real thing stop thinking all right that's going to do it for this episode once again big thank you to everyone who came out over the weekend uh to the bp crew event next one is right around the corner go get your tickets they are a ton of fun um scott any last words yeah, go get your tickets. We're going to see uh, Dallas Keuchel. Those were my last words. Dallas Keuchel unve- unveiled as the newest Yankees pitcher at the uh, at the event. So that's exciting. That's another added value for your ticket. Go grab your tickets. Let's go Yankees. Go Yankees. Kick the crap out of the Blue Jays. We'll talk to you Thursday. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.